0: Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of The American Scholar Magazine. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastek. There are 40,000 Asian elephants left in the world right now, tucked into the mountainous forests of the continent. Asian elephants used to roam all of India and far up into China, almost as far north as Beijing. But as humans have expanded into the areas where elephants used to live, the elephants have retreated further into the forests. About 13,000 of those elephants are doing some form of labor on behalf of human beings. Maybe a third to half are doing tricks in captivity or giving rides to tourists in elephant preserves. The remainder are working, logging or carrying passengers or food or water or medicine across forested areas, going where the roads cannot, especially at the height of monsoon season. About eight to 9,000 Asian elephants work with us in this capacity. But that's just a rough estimate, says Jacob Schell, a professor of geography and urban studies at Temple University. There hasn't been a formal census, and the work is largely invisible to the urban occupants of these countries, or those of us who visit them. That invisible work, and the complicated relationships between a tamed, but not domesticated, elephant and it's often lifetime handler, is the subject of Jacob Schell's new book, Giants of the Monsoon Forest. He went to the tiny logging villages and covert forest camps in India and Burma, where elephants and humans are working together today, as they have for centuries, not only to document a disappearing way of life, but to figure out whether it might hold the key to the Asian elephant's survival in an all-too-human world. Jacob Schell joins us from Philadelphia. Thanks so much for talking to me.
1: Uh, Well, thank you for uh, having me on the show. I'm really excited to talk about the work on elephants that I've been doing. That's kind of my first question. What drew you, a
0: geographer and an urban studies professor, to look at elephants in the first place? Because they don't exactly show up in cities very often.
1: Yeah. um, Well, in graduate school, I was really interested in transportation issues. And in particular, I became interested in how people move things around uh, in secret. Throughout a lot of that research period, I was interested in things like waterfronts and canals, but eventually I became interested in uh, animals and how people use animals as a means of transportation or follow animals or use animals as a means of navigation. For moving things around in this in secret, so you can imagine something like smuggling things across mountain ranges uh, using mules. That's something that kind of looms larger in American history, for example. So ultimately, this led me uh, in the direction of these relatively small, marginal, usually overlooked communities in the borderlands of Burma or Myanmar and India that are using elephants for something like this purpose. They're not always moving things around in secret, but certainly in a kind of a less visible forest zone. Most of these communities uh, are upland minorities in a kind of mountainous and heavily forested area. And this is a part of the world that experiences some of the most intense monsoon conditions on the planet. And so when this happens, you have uh, what little local road infrastructure there is washes over or becomes obstructed by mudslides, uh, felled trees, boulders. Uh, And so the elephants become uniquely necessary to move things around. And some of the people that I talk about are using elephants precisely for moving things around in secret in the forest.
0: One of the other groups that you contrasted that work with was the Burmese government's logging program in central Burma, um, which kind of functions radically differently. What is that look like in comparison?
1: Yeah. um, Since the time of uh, British colonialism, and actually this goes back to pre-colonial times too, there's this uh, government-managed practice of uh, elephant-based logging. Uh, And it's in particular organized around logging teak, which is a very valuable timber um, because teak is naturally water resistant. So most deck furniture or deck flooring is oftentimes built out of teak. Uh, In the 19th century, most ships were built out of teak because it has this naturally water resistant properties. And the issue with teak from the standpoint of logging uh, is that the best teak only grows on the tips of these uh, very difficult to access hills um, in uh, central and some of northern Burma. Um, It's difficult to build logging roads that go all the way up to these hilltops. um, And so what the sort of standard practice has been until very recently, meaning just within the last few years, is that elephants are instead employed, usually at a scale of several thousand elephants, to actually be um, the ones who, along with other uh, human handlers, who would be called Uzis in Burma and Mahouts in uh, Indian and 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 English too, they'll go up to these hilltops, uh, they'll fell these trees, and the elephants will drag or sometimes carry. Uh, these logs down to some sort of uh, uh, depot or sawmill. And uh, the whole thing is organized around several dozen uh, so-called elephant logging villages, which are really fascinating places uh, to visit. Uh, One of the things that really fascinated uh, me in particular about them, and this is true uh, with the communities that are using elephants for transportation too, is that the elephants are released into the forest on a nightly basis. So um, thus far, it, it may sort of sound as if Like surely these elephants are uh, kept in chains all throughout their lives and they are certainly sort of coerced uh, to some extent into this relationship with humans, but every single night they're also permitted to wander the forest relatively freely. They have some sort of chain loosely connecting their two forelegs, but they have total freedom to wander wherever they want to wander in the open forest, which is highly significant because it means that the elephants, in addition to be able to recreate and sleep and feed themselves in the forest, they can also find mates Um, and elephants that are employed under these conditions uh, reproduce at a a far higher rate than elephants that are kept cooped up in zoos or, for that matter, in tourist compounds. So uh, that's highly significant. And the sort of balance between uh, the humans working with the elephants in these elephant logging villages who have to go fetch the elephant out of the forest every morning and the elephant's own needs are uh, really fascinating to see in action. It's a very delicate kind of balance.
0: Yeah. I mean, it all seems like a super delicate balance because on the one hand, you have elephants working to help humans pull trees down from a forest that they need to survive. And at the same time, you have other humans who also need that forest to survive. Uh, It seems like a really complicated web. I mean, who has a stake in the existence of the forest in this continued relationship?
1: Yeah, um, well, that was something I was certainly thinking about while doing this research. and uh, in many ways, the way in which teak logging in central Burma happens has been somewhat uh, sustainable, or what we would probably describe as sustainable, up until relatively recently. But with the economic opening of Burma to global markets, um, that seems to be proving less and less and less true. Um, and in fact, there's a kind of quasi-moratorium that's been placed on uh, elephant logging over the last couple of years for this exact reason. They're slowly running out of forest cover. Um So I began to think that uh, that particular practice where elephants are uh, used by these uh, humans in the forest in order to do logging might not be the most sustainable practice going forward uh, if the idea is ultimately to conserve the forest, which the elephants and some of the humans, too, uh, need in order to survive. Um, And so ultimately in the book, uh, what I wind up arguing is that it's really these cross-forest transportation practices which um, several thousand of the elephants are facilitating, and this is happening more in northern Burma and also at the northeastern tip of India, which borders northern Burma. Um, It's really those practices which I think have a lot more promise as a kind of long-term conservation strategy where essentially you have humans and elephants working together to preserve the forest, to maintain the forest as a source of value. Uh, and a source of power, um, I became especially interested while doing that leg of the research uh, in a ethnic group in northern Burma called the Kachin. The Kachin have had uh, one of the world's longest-running civil wars with the central Burmese military. By some metrics, it actually started as early as 1961 and is ongoing. Uh, and the Kachin Independence Army uh, actually has uh, an elephant brigade system, about 50 to 60 elephants overall, who transport people, uh, various goods around the Kachin forest in secret out of sight from the central Burmese military. And even though I w- certainly wouldn't advocate that civil warfare it can be useful or necessary for the survival of the Asian elephants, that's not really how I look at it. This is an example of humans and elephants working together to derive uh, value and power Uh, out of the forest in a way that maintains the forest and keeps it in place rather than uh, cutting it all down and replacing it with farms and cities and things like that.
0: What would you say to the argument that we should just free all the elephants and let them run in the forest without any human influence and just set up nature reserves instead?
1: Um, Yeah, well, I think my view on that is that it sounds like something which would be ideal, And if we lived in an ideal world, I would say let's absolutely do that uh, rather than um, utilizing trained elephants who've been captured out of the forest or born in captivity in some cases for monsoon time transportation uh, uh, practices, which is more what what I advocate in the book. Um, The problem is that we don't live in that kind of uh, ideal world or that kind of ideal situation. Uh, And in reality, uh, deforestation, uh, which is the major thing which is pushing Asian elephants in particular uh, to the brink of extinction, deforestation uh, is a major factor in this part of the world. I don't think it's going to be particularly likely that regions like Northeast India or countries like Burma are going to be able to institute forest preserves that are sufficiently expansive. We need to imagine some way of human beings and, uh, and these giant animals co-inhabiting uh, this very, very crowded part of the planet. And otherwise, I don't realistically see a path forward for the Asian elephant species.
0: So what's the exact mechanism that, I guess, keeps elephants in the workforce and works to stop deforestation. How does that balance play out, do you think, in those northern regions that you were talking about, where elephants are used for transportation? Because I I confess that I was initially one of those indignant outside observers who was all like, we should just leave them there. They'll be fine on their own. Um, And I'm curious if you can outline more specifically what that looks like or where you see it working well. Right.
1: Yeah, well, so I think that the one of the questions for me was, um, if you look at the remaining forest cover in this part of the world, you're going to see that one, there's very little forest cover left uh, in these spaces between India and China. Two, there is actually one big chunk of forest land, basically in this border region between northern Burma and northeast India. Uh, And I was certainly thinking while doing the research, well, how come so much forest cover has actually remained in that region? Um, At first, I thought, well, maybe the soil is bad, so it wouldn't make sense for agriculture, but that doesn't appear to be true. Uh, There's one particular region uh, which is hard fought over between the Kachin Independence Army and the central Burmese military called the Hukong Valley. And one of the points of contention is that uh, the various development interests connected to the central Burmese military want to uh, replace much of the forest cover with um, sugar and palm oil plantations. So apparently from their point of view, the soil is just fine, and the whole area has tons of potential to be uh developable uh, for permanent agriculture and yet thus far that's not what's happened in the in these areas and that has a lot to do with the fact that the major dominant ethnic groups in these regions are traditionally much more associated with uh, practices which don't require uh, eliminating forest cover now this could be small scale logging so like logging that allows. Uh, the forest to recover. It could be mining, which tends to loom rather large in these regions, like mining gold out of rivers or mining jade is a major industry in Kachin state. And transportation, cross-forest transportation has also been another really important source of livelihood for these uh, particular communities. Uh, And it's not just the Kachin. I should mention other groups like the Compte and the Adi groups, which traditionally up through the present have derived livelihood and value from activities which don't displace forest cover. Um, They found other ways of deriving value from the territory. Um, And that to me is very significant and sort of inherently means that these groups, even when they sometimes hunt elephants, like for meat or for ivory, although that's not very common, but, but even when they do that, they aren't as much of a threat to the Asian elephants as human activities that eradicate forest cover would be. So that that was the sort of dynamic that I became very interested in while doing this research.
0: Yeah, well I mean what you said about the elephants evolving out of these valleys that are now populated with humans leads me to wonder about the Asian elephant's counterpart which is the African elephant which also has a history of domestication but has never really been used in the same way that the Asian elephant has and continues to be. So Why did one elephant get the central role in this human elephant relationship while the other one is sort of just faded back to the savanna?
1: Yeah, this sort of interesting counterexample. In Africa, you don't have this continuous pressure of deforestation uh, happening for thousands of years in a row in the same way that you do in Asia. In Asia, you have these intensive agricultural civilizations, especially in India and China eradicating forest cover, replacing forest cover with farmland. There isn't really an analogous process of multi-millennial deforestation, which happens in Africa. And so my own theory about this is that it's ultimately this process of deforestation and of migration of some humans away from the agricultural civilizations in Asia towards this remaining forested zone alongside the elephants, which gives a rise to this culture of Asian elephant taming, capture, and domestication uh, in Asia, which doesn't really have a counterpart uh, in Africa. Uh, Even though there are these sort of interesting, sort of shorter, more truncated histories in Africa of humans sometimes capturing African elephants and using them for some kind of uh, human-imposed labor, um, probably what looms relatively large in much Western memory is that African elephants in classical Greek and Roman times were captured out of North Africa and were put to work doing combat and battle, um, which certainly wouldn't be something I would ever support happening now, but that is something which happened historically. And there's also some sort of tenuous suggestions that maybe some uh, indigenous peoples in sub-Saharan Africa practice some kind of African elephant domestication at various times, but certainly never something as continuous as what you see in Asia.
0: So, what you're describing happening in Asia over the course of these thousands of years, and what you're sort of suggesting for the future of elephants, of how we save them, is to preserve this, what you call an interspecies alliance um, between the two. And I'm just curious how. I mean, obviously, we can't know specifically, you know, we can only sketch a picture through various historical documents. But how did this evolution, this like co evolution occur? Do you think? Do you hypothesize? Do we really even know?
1: Yeah, well, so what I think happened, maybe from about 1000 BC onward, is that as Asian elephants were retreating into these forest areas, uh, you can imagine different elephants being born with maybe different personalities. Um, some elephants maybe we would, would be born with a very anti-human personality and also wishing to go back into the valley areas where the farms now are. And so those elephants will be likely to be killed because they're going back into the farmland and they're being killed by humans. And you could maybe imagine an elephant with a different kind of anti-human personality which prefers to stay inside of the forest refuge. But this elephant, too, would be at at a major disadvantage. It could be killed by hunters, or it could find itself isolated. But you could also imagine an elephant that is just born with a personality that inclines the elephant to be very friendly to humans and to want to kind of work cooperatively with humans in some way. And that elephant would have a decent shot at surviving this process of gradual forest diminishment, provided that the humans that it cooperated with permitted the elephant to wander the forest every night because that's the only way that that elephant is going to be able to reproduce with other elephants uh, and pass on its genes and its traits. Um, so you need to imagine a, a number of sort of very kind of subtle, sensitive processes shaking out in a particular way. But I think ultimately this is the best explanation uh, for how uh, South Asia and Southeast Asia wound up with these particular cultures of elephant domestication uh, that we s- still see some remaining aspects of today. Um, it's not the same set of processes as how we get domesticated cattle or horses or dogs, where humans ultimately wind up selectively breeding those particular species in order to get uh, a separate species from the wild progenitor of the species, um, domesticated dogs are genetically distinct from wolves, that kind of thing. That never happens with Asian elephants. Uh, Domesticated Asian elephants are genetically exactly the same as wild Asian elephants. Oftentimes, uh, wild elephants uh, who are captured out of the wild are the ones who become the trained elephants. And then trained elephants occasionally will... Uh, will run away and will go back into the forest and become wild elephants themselves. So it's a different kind of situation than we might be accustomed to when thinking about other domesticated animals like horses and dogs. So
0: are you hopeful about elephants' futures? I mean, knowing that climate change is rapidly increasing and turning into climate cataclysm. So we'll have more floods and I guess more work opportunities for elephants. But at the same time there's also a lot more economic pressure in the places where they are living in the forest. So do you feel like on measure things are looking good for elephants or not so
1: good? I'm not that hopeful. I mean I can get very um swept up by my own various proposals, but um what I think is likelier to happen is that the, the South and Southeast Asian forests will probably contract and contract and contract. Um, more elephants will wind up in enclosed controlled kinds of um, human imposed environments by well-meaning humans, but that the elephants who find themselves in those situations, uh, won't reproduce at a high enough rate to reverse the sort of gloomy, uh, demographic trend of the species. Um, so I, I think, uh, Several projections basically have uh, the species extinct or very close to extinct by the end of this century. Again, there's only 40,000 of them left at this point. Um, so yeah, I think the prospects for the species are pretty bleak. Um, I think for some Western listeners, it might be worth thinking about the contrast with African elephants, who are also in a dire situation, but uh, the number of African elephants who are still alive is about uh, four, 400, 450,000. Um, So it's an order of magnitude difference. And I think sometimes Western observers or people who care about elephants see imagery of ivory poaching and assume or draw the conclusion that ivory poaching is the single major threat towards elephants of all kinds. And that's what's pushing these giant majestic species towards extinction. And it seems like that is a, a central threat in Africa. But again, African elephants are not as close to the brink of extinction as Asian elephants, not by a long shot. And in Asia, the major threat to elephants is not ivory poaching, it's deforestation.
0: A big part of Jacob's book are the stories told by the Mahouts about their elephants, including some wild stories of elephants outsmarting their humans when it comes to leaving the forest for work, and problem-solving with teak logs that even human loggers couldn't figure out. Find them all in Jacob Shell's new book, Giants of the Monsoon Forest. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care and stay sharp.
2: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.